finishing up our text in Mark chapter 6 this morning. Before we go, let me, let me just pray over the word this morning. Father God, we thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, without your word, we would be left in the dark, simply feeling our way towards you. But Father, you've given us a, a sure thing. You've given us a sure footing uh, to understand you, Father, Lord. And because of that, you hold us responsible for understanding who you are as the Gospels portray you and as all of Scripture tells us who you are. So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning to these marvelous truths that we see in our text today. Father, may we have ears to hear and hearts to understand and eyes to see glorious words from your truth this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark, uh, the, the, the title of this series as we're working through it is, is, is Who is Jesus, right? And so we've went over this a couple times, but basically the writer of the Gospel of Mark has one question. And he spends the whole book answering this one question. And he, he tells us the answer through people's experiences with Jesus. So he portrays a story, and this, this morning we have three stories uh, kind of that we're going to be tackling all together here. Uh, and all to answer the, the same question of, of who is this Jesus character? Who is it? So this morning we're going to start with just the three stories, right? The, the, these are well-known stories if you've been around church for any length of time. Uh, this first one, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Found in all four accounts of the gospel, uh, with, or the, the different gospels, which tells us that it, it's pretty important. Pretty important. Let's look at Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done. And so, let's stop right there. He said, man, we're never going to get through this. Keep doing this. Uh, like, you remember last week, we, we included this scripture in last week's section because Mark told a story, and then he kind of derailed it, went and told the story about John the Baptist, and he came back and finished the story that he was telling about sending out the apostles. Now, that's just uh, amazing, right? And, and the takeaways for us last week is that, that we, like the apostles, like John the Baptist, should be entering into spreading the word, evangelizing our friends, telling people of the love of God. Like that was our word for last week. But, but notice what Jesus does next here. Look at verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going. They had no leisure even to eat. Now listen, look right at me. How many of you are tired? One. One. Okay, two, three. Okay, we, we, y'all, okay, you're starting to wake up now. I, I get it, you're tired. You don't want to raise your hand. Listen, how many of you would love to hear Jesus say, hey, just go away and rest. Just go away and rest. That's, that's what he's doing here. He sees his apostles. They're coming back, right? We don't know how long they'd been away. Quite some time, probably months. They were traveling in pairs. And they had been away for some time. And they come and they begin to debrief with Jesus. And he says, listen, go away by yourself. Like, take a minute and breathe. Listen, this is often the view of Jesus that we're not presented with, isn't it? Like in churches and in sermons, we're presented as a Jesus who says, go, 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 go do this, go tell the lost. But listen, at the same time, understanding who Jesus is, and he's seen his disciples weak and weary from the journey, he says, go and rest. Verse 31, 32. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They, they, they listened, they obeyed, and they began to try to do this. But, but notice what happens. 
in this story. Verse 33, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So you get the image like that Jesus is saying, hey, get in the boat, go find an area near the shore that's desolate, nobody there, and just rest a while. And the, the, the writer Mark here is trying to point us to a picture. It's like they tried to do this, and yet the folks on the shoreline say, hey, aren't those, aren't those Jesus' boys? Like, aren't those them, them apostles healing people, right? They're no longer in Nazarene, right? Like they've, they've transported back to the previous base of operations here. Uh, and here the disciples are, the apostles. They're trying to find rest, and rest eludes them. Look at verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Uh, Jesus, this place is empty. You told us to go to an empty place. Here we are at an empty place. You can kind of see the tension rising in the story, can't you? This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But notice Jesus' answers. You give them something to eat. And I said to him, are you kidding me? For real. Is Jesus for real right now? Like, I know we just got back from healing people and then telling the gospel, preaching the word, but how are we supposed to make bread out of thin air? You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Like, like you can sense the sarcasm. Like, like, are you serious, man? Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Like, you can just imagine the look on these disciples' face. Like, this cat's telling us to go find bread and how many we got. Okay, we got five, Jesus. What are you going to do? You can just kind of sense the tension is rising. But Jesus doesn't seem to mind. He commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to all the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. Now listen. If we stop there, there's nothing miraculous. If we stop there, there's, nothing, there's no miracle. It just means everyone got a piece of fish this big. It's the next line in the story that Mark wants to drive home his point. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces of uh, and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Like, like, right. So Mark doesn't give you this little tidbit about how many people are there till the end of the story. Right? So just imagine you're hearing this story for the first time. You're like, okay, some cats there, right? And I don't know what the disciples are freaking out about, but the people are hungry. And so Jesus just feeds them with five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. Uh, oh, yeah, they all ate and were full. Oh, and by the way, there were 5,000 men. This story, encapsulated in all four accounts of the Gospels, uh, they're trying to tell us something, right? Mark, Mark is trying to prove something. We'll get to that in a minute. Look at the next story. 
Immediately, verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethesda, while he dismissed the crowd. Now, why does Jesus do this? Does anyone remember? Gospel of John, same story, right? What happens there? Mark doesn't really care about these details, but John does. The crowd began to see Jesus, and they, they seen that he, he just fed everybody. You know what they're thinking? This is our guy. Let's make him ruler. Let's make him king over us. Like, this is the guy. So let's make him in charge. And they actually, John would tell us they want to grab him and force him to be their leader. And Jesus is like, no, my time hasn't come. But Mark doesn't say that. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. In verse 46, after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Like, you ever think, why does Jesus tell his disciples to go off and rest? Why does Jesus himself go off and rest? To pray. He went up on the mountain to pray. Verse 47. When the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. Right? Like, you can sense the tension starting to rise in this story again. Mark's very, making very clear that we know where the people are. You've got the disciples on the ocean, and you've got Jesus on the mountain. He's very clear about this. Verse 48, and he saw them, that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, between the hours of 3 and 6 a.m. Walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So you got Jesus on the mountaintop, sees his disciples, sees the struggle uh, that they're having, and he makes his way down towards them. They, of course, don't think it's him. They think it's a ghost. They're not sure. They're, they're terrified. And Jesus reassures them, Take heart, do not be afraid. Verse 51, he got into the boat with them in the wind, ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Now, this is the important part. This is why I told these, this story together. Look at that next verse, verse 52. They were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, right, remember, Mark is doing something. He's answering the question, who is Jesus, from the perspective of the characters in the stories. And the reason that I know these two texts are linked together and like Mark wants us to wrap our arms around all of them to understand is because he just said that they didn't understand the previous story. Like they didn't comprehend. They don't understand what's going on. So the question for us is, what's going on? There's this line in here, right, that he, he meant to pass by. Like think about it. Like if Jesus is really God, if Jesus knows everything, doesn't he know that the disciples are going to see him walking on the sea? Like, so what does it mean when it says that Jesus meant to pass by? Here's what I think it means. I think it means any time we're shown the glory of God, any time that in the Old Testament that the men of God were shown God, it was always in a passing by experience. It was never a direct face-to-face Moses, in Exodus 33, said this, Please show me your glory, and then God responds, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory, what? Passes by. 
I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Every time a man of God in the Old Testament was wanting to see God, it was always in this motion of like, there he went. Like, he passed by us. 1 Kings 19 says this, it says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, right? You remember that, not in the wind, not in the mountain, not in the, the earthquake, but in the still small voice, the Lord passed by. So we have the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We have the story of Jesus walking on the water. Now, thirdly, let's look at this last story here, very sh- much shorter. Verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. So you've got this third story. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on the water. And then Jesus heals many. Immediately after getting out of the boat, they see him, they recognize who he is, and they begin to bring sick people to him. And listen, he heals them. So the question for us this morning is, what do these three stories tell us? How do these three stories answer the question, who is Jesus? What are the takeaways for us? And before we get there, let me just, Bible over here, let me, I'm going to speak honestly with everyone here. Like, the truths I'm about to say are true. From the scriptures, they're true. Listen, I still struggle believing them. You understand? Like, I don't want you to see me up here and getting ready to say what I'm about to say and think, man, pastor's got it all together. Listen, none of us in this room have it all together. So hear hear the truths. The first one I have no trouble believing. Here it is. The miracles prove that Jesus is God. Like, why doesn't Mark tell us all the details that, that John tells us or about anyone else, any of the other gospel writers tell us about these events? And it's because Mark is not wanting us to focus on all these other things. He's wanting us to see the miracles. This is who God is. This is Jesus is God. Listen, he, um, he fed 5,000 people with two fish and three loaves of bread. Miraculous. <laughs> you say, how did he do it, Pastor? I don't know. But he did it. I believe it because he was God you see the question who is Jesus well Jesus is God because only God could do such a thing not only that he he walked on water so here you have the creator of everything the one who told the seas how far to go into the shoreline and Mark tells a story that like there's a, there's a storm taking place, there's headwinds, there's things pushing back, and here Jesus is walking on the water. For all of our attempts to recreate this, right, you've, got, you've seen these, these magicians, right, who try to recreate this idea of walking on water, none of them to the man would ever try to do it with a storm. So a sleight of hand, and the water's real calm and collected, maybe they try to run real fast. None of them are going to try to step out into the middle of a storm. But Jesus does. 
Because Mark wants to press into our minds this morning that, that this is God in the flesh. It's who Christ is. He heals people just by them touching the hem of His garment. As many as touched it, He says, were healed. There's no explanations besides this except that it's a miracle. God did it. Now, I have no trouble believing those truths whatsoever. It's this next one that I struggle with. And if we're being honest, maybe, maybe you do too. Christ's compassion proves that God is for you. Did you notice the thread running throughout all of these stories this morning? Look how when the disciples return to Jesus, he says, go and rest. Take it easy. I've got this. Did they get that rest? No, they didn't. But Jesus knew what he was doing. He had the compassion on those who followed him. You ever think, why did Jesus, when they got out into the desolate place, that you'd seen these crowds gathering around, why didn't Jesus just send them away? The text said he had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Listen, Jesus loved them. Now, last week I talked a lot about the judgment of God, right, and the wrath of God on sinners, and that is true. But if we focus only on that and not on the fact that Christ loves us and is for us, then we miss the whole gospel. He had compassion on the crowds because they had no shepherd. Listen, he was on the mountain praying and watching his disciples at the same time. Now, the text doesn't explicitly state he had compassion on them, and so he went out to, to calm the waves. But listen, that's what he did because he had compassion on them. He continued to heal the sick, right? So John would tell us in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, he would say after this feeding of the 5,000, right, that, that Jesus begins to talk about uh, eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And what's the text say? It says that many left at hearing these things because they were too hard and then Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, will you then leave as well? And they say, where else would we go? The miracles prove that he is God. Prove that Jesus in the flesh is God. But the compassion of Christ proves to us that God is not just angry with us. Like he loves us. Like he, he loves you. God the creator of everything, loves you. Listen, I, I struggle with this myself, and I'm a pastor. To think that even all of my faults, all of my failures, all of my shortcomings, that God could love me, like right now, like loves me. With that kind of love, that kind of holy, unchanging love, you realize God doesn't change. Right? So when, when you fail, guess what? He loves you. When you stumble, he, he loves you. When you fall into sin, He loves you. When you say, I'll never do that again, and then you go out and do that sin, listen, He loves you. It's who He is. His compassion in these stories, Mark's trying to just dump buckets on us. Understand this. He loves you. So listen, what that does for us is it frees us up from this performance-based mentality, 
right? Because most of us are like, okay, okay, pastor, yeah, God loves us, I get it, but does he like us? Right? I don't know if you had parents like I had parents. They said, listen, I have to love you, but I don't have to like you. I'm afraid most of us take that kind of relationship and we put it on God. Yeah, he loves us because he has to, because he's God. But does he like us? Listen, he does. He does. So many of us, I feel, struggle with this in such a real... Maybe I'm alone up here. I don't know. But in my own life, I'll just speak personally. In my own life, I've always felt like I've got to somehow measure up to the gospel. Right, that I've got to somehow earn my way. Yeah, I know Christ died for me. I believe it. I believe that his, uh, his sacrifice was sufficient to atone for my sins. But even after believing that, I think that somehow, way, I've somehow got to measure up to this. My guess is I'm not alone in this. Listen, Christ's compassion proves that God is for us. Like the many crowds would walk away, right? This third story where Jesus heals many. Like they're coming to Jesus for blessings and healings and he gives it to them freely knowing that at the end there'll be nobody with them. Nobody with them. Christ's compassion proves that God is for you. He's not against you. He loves you. Thirdly, recognition of Jesus proves where our hearts are. You say, Matt, I, I understand how the first two stories are related because you got Jesus, right, and feeding the 5,000. At the end of this, the story of walking on the water, you got this idea about bread, and they didn't understand the loaves and the fishes. But what about this third story? How does it relate to the fact that all these three stories are connected? Here, here's how I know. Look back at chapter 6. Verse was that? Verse 33. Here it is. Jesus sends his disciples to a desolate place, tells them to go. Verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them. So the crowds on the shoreline sees this Jesus and his boys. Let's catch up to them, let's catch a blessing. Look at this last story. Verse 54. Boat's coming in for a landing. Now for the second time in these three stories. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized them. So here you've got two different crowds of people. Both of them recognize who Jesus is. They recognize this is the guy who has the answers. This is the guy who can feed people with just a few scraps. This is the guy who can bring healing. They recognize who Jesus is. And the irony is, is that the men in the boat didn't. His disciples didn't. That's what the author means when he says they didn't understand the loaves and the fish. Their hearts were hardened. The crowds recognized Jesus both in the first and the last story, but the disciples did not recognize him, but rather thought he was what? A ghost. Yeah, Jesus walking beside them on a calm sea. We don't, we don't know who that is. You see how these three stories are related. It's all about seeing Jesus for who he actually is. 
And you see, the men in the boat, their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand what just happened. In either account, both the the walking on the water or uh, the feeding the 5,000, they didn't understand that the miracles were pointing that He was God in the flesh or that His compassion was limitless for them. Instead, they thought He was a ghost. Listen, the same is true of you and I. Recognition of who we think Jesus is proves where our own hearts are. Proves where our own hearts are. Like, if you see Jesus as just a guy who can get you what you want, then you don't see Jesus as the creator of everything. If you see Jesus as just a, a, a hotline and a moment of crisis, then you don't truly understand who Jesus is. So the question for us is, who is Jesus? Who is this man? who can control the winds and the rain, who can take five loaves of bread and feed uh, 5,000 men. Who is this man? Listen, he's God in the flesh. He's the great I am. Notice that when he gets into the boat to calm the men down, what's he say? Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Right, this, 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 this language that, that Jesus uses is intentional here. And Mark wants it to punch people in the guts. He wants his readers to understand what Jesus just said. Because it's the same words that God said to Moses, I am. I am. The great God who delivered Israel out of Egypt... Moses uh, was the one to go, and as God's sending Moses out, Moses says, who shall I tell him sent me? What's your name, God? He says, tell him I am sent you. And Jesus gets in the boat because the men missed it. And so he just says, I am. Don't be afraid. So the question for us is, do we see Jesus in this way? Do we truly understand that He loves us? That He has compassion on us? Not just in His death and resurrection, although the death and resurrection prove to us that He loves us. Let's just stop right here for a minute. The reason I love Good Friday and Easter is because what it does is it shows the world that I'm a failure. It shows the world that you are a failure. That there's nothing you can do to make yourself right standing before God. Do you understand that? Like, like the reason Christ died on the cross is because there was no other way, no other way forward for us. And so what the cross proves to us is that He loves us. That He loves us. It was on the cross where God showed just how sinful we really are, that only the death of God would satisfy the wrath of God in our place. And so when Christ died on the cross, what He was saying to you and me in that moment is, I love you. And yes, there's a price to be paid, but listen, you don't have to pay it. You don't have to pay it. Jesus goes to God and he says, 
Give me every bill that they owe and I will pay it. This should free us up, Christians. If you're in Christ, if you would say that, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died in my place, this should free us up to lovingly and freefully serve Him, not because we have to measure up, but because of the work He's already done, because of who He was, because of how He loved us. So ask your own hearts this morning, who do I say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus to me? Do I really, truly understand and and believe and walk in this idea that Christ loves us? Or am I somehow trying to measure up? Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we love you. Lord, these are hard truths for us to understand. But Father, I pray that you would show us this morning Lord, if we've struggled with this, if we feel we somehow have to earn our own salvation, we have to somehow measure up to who you are so that you will accept us, Father, Lord, I pray that you would push that from our minds, Father. Lord, that you would remind us again this morning that you love us. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done, Father. May we recognize you for who you truly are, Father for who Christ was and is in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to close this out.